any Sunday, any day you can be in the house of God is a special day. Special day because Andrea's getting ready to set off into new sites and going to Bible college. But it's a special day because where two or three are gathered together in my name, the Bible says, there am I in their midst. We praise God with his presence with us here today. Take your Bibles open to the book of Acts, if you will. Book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to be changing up the messages just a little bit. We've been doing Acts on Sunday morning. We've been in 1 Corinthians on Sunday night. And on Wednesday nights, we've been in the book of Philippians. Well, tonight, I'm going to be back in the book of Acts. And then next Sunday morning, I'll be back in the book of Acts again. Um, Alice and I are going to, I mean, not, no, sorry, let me back up. No, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I'm, we're taking a few days off. But the Sunday I come back, we'll be back in the book of Acts. That day, we're going to have a, a Sunday morning service, and then we're going to have kind of a, some games here and activities around the, the church. So be tuned into that. We'll spend the time together. But then when we come back in September, again, we'll be in the book of Acts way I'm thinking right now, but we're going to start some teaching on the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and how that they are so important, and what they mean for the church, and how that if we are not exercising the gift that God has given you, that the church is not functioning as God had planned for it to, to do. Very important messages. They're all important but very important messages. Kind of wanted to give you a heads up on what's going on. So anyway, back to the book of Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. We're gonna be in verse 23 through 30. And so if you're ready, I'll read. It says, and being let go, they went, in, uh, went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name of thy holy child, Jesus. Let's pray. God, uh, teach us today. If we stand here in the flesh, if we come here and just are here and, and really not here, we're not doing ourselves any good. God, uh, you're holy. You're pure. You're omnipotent. You're omniscient. God, we do not deserve you. You showed us love when you had no reason to. You just loved us. So, Father, may we just get a hold of that a little bit this morning and take time to meet with you individually. Oh, and as a body, of course. But God, individually, 
May we worship with you today. May you receive our praise. Teach us, God. We ask in your name. Amen. Been in the book of Acts for, this is the 22nd lesson in the book of Acts. And we will, uh, tonight, we will finish the book of uh, the chapter 4. So that will be 23 lessons to get through that. But as we are taking this slow walk through the book of Acts, remember, a slow walk. We were talking, Alice and I were talking the other day, and he mentioning another preacher that was talking about how that he was taking a slow walk through some information. And it's important to take this slow walk because we want to get a hold of what's going on here. We want to make sure that we're following the apostles' doctrine. We want to make sure that we continue to be a true New Testament church. Remember, we've seen the Savior. We watched him as he was ascended into heaven. We waited for the Spirit, the 120 in that upper room. We saw the arrival and the filling of that Spirit. We were in earshot as we listened to that great message that Peter preached and 3,000 were added to the church. We watched that altar call and how the people responded. We saw and learned of a certain lame man. And then we made application that all men are born lame spiritually. We need Christ. We saw the multitude respond as Peter preached to them again. We spoke about the glory of his name. We spoke about the greatness of his name. We're going to talk about the fellowship today of this company. The fellowship of this company. And that's what it calls it in verse 23. It says, and being let go, they went to their own company. Their own company. Now, it's not like a job company. That's a company of people. These are the 120. These are the ones that have been saved. And went to their own company and reported all that the chief priest and elders had said unto them. There's an old saying, birds of a feather flock together. How many have heard that? I went back and looked it up and tried to find out where it came from. And somewhere in the 1500s, it, uh, the saying came about. Of course, it was in the old English. And of course, I kind of speak old English occasionally, don't I? <laughs> but anyway, birds of a feather flocks together. And so they were let go. What are you going to do when you're let go? You're going to go back to those people that love you. And that's exactly what they did. When the restraints were removed, they went to those that they had been traveling with. It's a very natural reaction. And I need to point out that this company was the believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You know, by the way, one of the proofs that we love the Lord, when you love their people, when you love his people, when you love his people, the Bible says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Drink on that for just a minute. I'm going to read it again. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Oh, I don't hate, hate him. I just don't have anything much to do with them. You want to play that game? You want to play that game? Fool yourself. You're not fooling God. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That's 1 John 4.20, in case you want to make a note of that. So Peter and John, here they are, they're reporting back to the whole body of believers the experience they've had over the last few hours. They talked about how they had been arrested, how they had been arraigned, and above all, they were talking about the arrogance of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had the attitude of, who do you think you are? Really, when you read through all of this, you go, they were standing there 
we're the rulers. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Uh, by what name have you done this? Oh, they were arrogant. The battle lines for the believers are now being drawn. Clearly defined. Clearly defined. Certainly the hope of this company, the brothers and sisters of Christ, the hope was that all of Israel would have been saved. But that wasn't the case. You know, not, not every time that you knock on somebody's door, not every time that do you witness to someone, do they receive Christ as their Savior. Sometimes you're just planting the seed. Of course, we know that God gives the increase. But certainly that had to have been their hope. That had to have been their hope. They said, this is what happened to us. This is what happened to us. And you know, while they're telling them what happened to them, they had to be thinking to them, thinking with them and, and the company, understanding and realizing they're warning us because this could happen to me. This could happen to me. We need to take pause and remember that all the members of this early church were in one accord. One accord. There are onenesses of churches that is, are easily recognized, but I submit that this early church had it down. They knew what it meant to be in one accord. It simply meant this, is that when, for example, when the lame man was healed and he rejoiced, they rejoiced with him. When somebody suffered, they suffered with him, with them. They had that three musketeer, that three musketeer uh, thought, all for one and one for all. By the way, it goes on and it says, united we stand, divided we fall. That's a good thing to remember. Very true. But this was part of God's plan, his sovereign plan, if you will, as he began separating the church from Judaism. Separating the church. The early believers may not even have recognized what was going on. But separation is the way. They're being separated by the apostles' doctrine. And being separated by the apostles' doctrine is how you keep a true New Testament church pure. A true New Testament church pure. You know, as an aside, I think many times people think, well, why can't we get together and fellowship with that church? You know, they're filled with good people. And certainly as the world measures, absolutely. Absolutely. Good people. But the Bible does say there's none righteous, no, not one. So we need to remember to measure by the correct ruler. Okay, number one. But as we look at that, we need to understand that you've got a group of people over here. And, well, we believe this is the way to heaven. We believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Or we believe that you can lose your salvation, that God does not have the ability to keep you saved. These are some things that were part of the apostles' doctrine. And we need to keep those things pure. Far be it from me or this church to allow another gospel to come in. We need to remain pure. Why? Because that's the way you can be a true New Testament church. God expects purity. God expects purity. So they had fellowship, this company did. They had fellowship in their suffering. But they also had fellowship in their supplication. Look at verse 24. It says, and when they heard that, 
They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. My goodness, I cannot harp on this enough, this one accord. It's so vitally important to a body of believers to be of one accord, be of one accord. That doesn't mean you have to like the San Francisco Giants baseball team like I do. You can like the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dodgers, that's fine. But we're talking about things of God, of one accord, of one accord. And said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that them is in one accord, one accord. I'm probably gonna get ahead of myself, but I need to point something out. When they started into this prayer, they started talking about who God was. Talking about what he had done and what he had accomplished. I think sometimes we go to prayer and we begin with right off the bat, God I need, this is what I need. Help me here, do this, do that. And then we come out the other side of that prayer wondering if that prayer ever made it to heaven. You know, God knows who he is. God knows that he's the creator of the entire universe. He's made everything. He spoke into existence out of nothing. But I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of who he is. Because then we fall back on that as he meets the needs, as he meets the needs. Whole congregations giving themselves over to prayer. And the first thing they did was praise God. They had a need, but the first thing they were doing, they were praising God, praising God. I try to remind myself when I pray, praise God, praise God, praising for who he is, praising he is so worthy of praise. They were praising God because he was omnipotent. He's the creator of the universe. And we would do well to remember that. When we're praying, you're praying to almighty, God, almighty, holy God, that he would allow us to do that. Oh my. That helps keep things in perspective, I believe. See here, they were praying to God and they were praising him for his power. Well, why? The Sanhedrin had power. And then you had God Almighty had power. The Sanhedrin could do some things to them on this earth that they didn't like. Well, they took Peter and John and they put them in prison. But you know what? The Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin could threaten, but they could not go one step beyond the permissive will of God. This God that created the sun, the moon, the stars, made the seas and made the shores to hold the water in. We have a God who holds his hand holds in his hands all the forces of nature. The threats of Sanhedrin, when measured against God, seemed kind of weak. One preacher said it was kind of like a little boy with a toy hammer, toy plastic hammer going up against a blacksmith. It just is no match. We must remind ourselves of who God is. We must praise him for his omnipotence, but also for his omniscience. Look at verses 25 and 26. 
says, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This is a quotation from the book of Psalms chapter two. And it's recognized as being prophetical and messianic. We see in it the fulfillment of Armageddon and we also see in it the fulfillment at Calvary. This is what they had seen. They had seen the fulfillment at Calvary where Christ was crucified. That was the beginning of that prophecy. And you have these two phases of the world's planned opposition against Christ. And they represent how they are with Christ's two comings. You see, the first time he came, he came in weakness. And God allowed men to do their worst to him. Can you imagine that? Stop and think of that. God allowed. The next time he comes, he'll come for war and in the power of his might. The first time, his glory was hidden. The next time, when he comes, his glory is going to be displayed. The first time they shed his blood, the next time he will shed theirs. Oh, what a loving God we serve, but he is a God of truth and justice. By the way, God was not taken by surprise at Calvary. David and many other prophets foretold it. The title that was nailed to the cross proclaiming that Jesus Nazareth to be king of the Jews, it was meant to ridicule, to make fun. I didn't realize it, but it was written in Greek, which was the language of the world's culture. It was written in Latin, which was the language of the world's power. And it was written in Hebrew, the language of the world's only revealed religion. The whole world, covered the whole world, endorsed the crime on Calvary. You and I endorse the crime on Calvary. It was a prophetic fulfillment, verses 27 and 28. It says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Get a hold of that last phrase. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. This is keeping with the previous affirmation that he's all powerful, omnipotent, he's the creator of all things. And he's now being confirmed as being omniscient as well. He knew all things. He knows what's going on in your mind this morning. He knows what you're going to be thinking two minutes from now. He knows what you thought about yesterday. He knows what you did. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. There's no fooling God. This holy child Jesus, this holy child Jesus came to this earth, an all-powerful God knowing that he was going to meet a horrible death on the cross of Calvary. That was his plan. That's how much he loved you. The description of Jesus as God's holy child pictures him as seemingly helpless in the hands of brutal men. Hmm. The entire human race was guilty of this crime. There's individual guilt, Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
Herod was angry at him. Pilate was afraid and worried. You know, there's a, you think about this holy child Jesus. Will Rogers had a saying. I never met a man I didn't like. You understand what that's saying? I never met a man I didn't like. Well, how do you know if you like that man or not? Because you don't know him. Well, I never met him. I never met him. I never met him I didn't like. If you're like me, I never met a baby I didn't like. I never met a baby I didn't like. All babies are good. I like to get them. And if, I, and if mom and dad will let me out, get them right here and kind of kiss on them a little bit. I have to know mom and dad. <laughs> but I love babies. I think of God, God Almighty and his son, his beloved son, Jesus Christ, the holy child Jesus, allowing this evil world and mankind to do what they did to him. By the way, I did that to him. I did that to him. Was there ever a sight that was so sad? You see the holy child, heaven's beloved, the savior of the world, weeping his heart out in the garden, where he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Thine be done. And then again, as he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh my. Talk about the love of God. The love of God. And as children of God, his children, it makes me wonder sometimes why we have a problem just maybe coming into a sanctuary. Why we have trouble doing the things that God would be pleased with. The love of God. And this was all done according to the plan that he had worked out in eternity. To me, that's amazing. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God turned that horrible cross that they used to kill his only son. And he turned it into a wonderful saving work of grace. George Bernard penned the old rugged cross. It goes, in the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous attraction I see, for twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. We need to think on that. We need to drink on that, that he died for me. He died for me. We need to get a hold of the love that God has for us. He converted the cross into a means of grace. Well, the prayer, they talked about the danger here. First part of 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. They're looking at this situation. They've talked to Peter and John. They've told them what's going on, what's happening. So now they, they praise God. Now they're praying. But look how they pray. Before I get to that, Satan's threat, you see, were real. They knew it. They, they showed it. They were real with Peter and John. Why would they stop with Peter and John and not come to me? See, they'd killed Jesus. They'd killed Jesus. They might even massacre them. In their mind, they had to be thinking, whoa, what have we done? You know, we've, we've received this Christ as our Savior, and, but now we've got this group of people, the Sanhedrin, who has all this authority, and they're against us. Oh, my. 
are they going to imprison us? Or maybe they'll stone us. They'll beat us. They might even crucify us. There's no denying those possibilities. Jesus had warned them. He said this, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Ye shall have tribulation. Well, they prayed for desire. They prayed for courage. It's verse 29, the second part, it says, And grant unto thy servants that, th that will all... And grant unto thy servants... Let me read over here. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Get hold of that. They weren't saying, hey, protect me. They're saying, give me boldness. That's interesting. That's interesting. You see, I think they knew something that we can't get a hold of. The danger did not lie with the Sanhedrin. Oh, the Sanhedrin could put him in prison. The Sanhedrin could stone him. The Sanhedrin could beat him. The Sanhedrin could crucify them. But you know where the danger lied? Lay? Lie? with self, with themselves. The subject of their prayer was not the force the enemy could muster, but the fear they had to master. Let me say it again. The subject of their prayer was not the force of the enemy that it could muster, but the fear that they had to master, that I might have boldness, that I might have boldness, they did not expect the power of the Sanhedrin to go away. They didn't ask for some miraculous intervention to deal with the armed might of that foe. They didn't even pray for the conversion of them, actually. They simply asked God to give them the courage to carry on with the task of telling others of Christ. Others of Christ. How's your boldness this morning, folks? Verse 30 says, By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. The second thing they desired was that their testimony be accompanied by signs, that is, an evident blessing of God. We need to go back and talk a little bit about some of these signs and these miracles that were going on. The apostolic gift included the gift of healing and the gift of mercies. By the way, we have no apostles today. We have no apostles today, in case you're just wondering. There's some prerequisites to being apostles, and no one on earth qualifies today. But those signs and those gifts were especially relevant to the church when it was in its infancy when its testimony was primarily to the Jews, they needed a special accreditation from God. As time wore on, they became less and less prominent. And by the time you had received the full word of God, they had ceased. They had ceased. By the end of the apostolic age, with the witness of the church fully established and with the New Testament scriptures complete, those signs disappeared. That does not mean, of course, that God does not do miracles today. He certainly does. 
that God cannot heal today. He certainly does. He just does not work in that way. Hebrews 13.8 says, Behold, the, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. I'm sorry, that's in Isaiah. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's not the healing and miracles that have ceased. It is that the gift of healing and the gift of performing miracles have ceased. And sign gifts have ceased. That's why it's so crucial that we're all part of these lessons coming up on spiritual gifts. We need to know what our spiritual gift. We need to be exercising our spiritual gift. God has put into this body people with particular certain spiritual gifts that we need to use. Why? So that the church will be able to function as it, God intended for it to be. Now that was our prayer. We see the believers gathering together in the fellowship of the body of Christ, sharing in all that had happened, holy one in Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I could end up this morning and say, that was the prayer of McKee Road Baptist Church. We see all the believers have gathered together in fellowship of the body of Christ, sharing in all that had happened. Holy one in Christ, are we? Are we holy one in Christ? They were fighting some spiritual battles. They were fighting some physical battles, but there were spiritual battles. And I'm wondering this morning, are you fighting any spiritual battles? You see, as a child of God, you'll always be in some sort of spiritual battle. Or maybe you're just watching from the sideline and you're not participating. I'll get to that when I can. I mean to do that. Oh my, there are so many things that we mean to do. I can remember my dad telling me, my dad retired when he was 66 years old. He said, I promised myself, Donnie, he says, I'm gonna pick up that guitar and play it at least one hour every day. Well, he picked it up and played, but he didn't do it one hour every day. He planned on it. Music was a huge part of his life, my family's life. I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that I will be participating, but I can't do it right now. It'll be down the road. Folks, right now is the time we need you to participate. Everyone needs to participate. The battle can be very frightening, but we're to pray as they prayed. We need to praise God. Praise him for his omnipotence, for his omniscience. And we need to pray for boldness to speak his name. Dear Jesus, have your will and way in this time. I pray your name. Amen.